This is the Seminole Wars Authority. Hello and welcome. In our last episode, we reviewed how three years of the Seminole Wars Authority podcast told the story of Seminole resistance to U.S. government removal efforts. In this episode, we place the podcast in the context of the Foundation's Frank Laumer Library for Seminole War Studies, the Laumer Library for short. We will discuss the themes presented in this library, Black Seminoles, Crackers, Soldiers, and of course Seminoles, among the collection's 2,500 titles. We will also investigate research opportunities for scholars and students pulling these materials off these shelves and from among the several filing cabinets of Frank Laumer's primary source materials. Seminole Wars Foundation President Steve Rink once again takes hosting duties to interview me, Patrick Swan, custodian for the Lammer Library, as well as the enterprising host for this podcast. Patrick Swan, welcome to the Seminole Wars Authority. Steve, survived the last episode. Glad to be back. Well, let's do our best. You know, that episode, you concluded by tying podcast interviews to the Lammer Center. How is it that podcast episodes contribute to the overall scholarship? Months before he passed away, Frank Lauer talked to folks from the Florida Historical Society. His remarks were put on Florida Frontiers, their weekly podcast. Holly Baker was kind enough to give me the 60-minute audio interview. And from that, I turned to podcast with Frank Lauer, even though he had been passed away for several years. But in that, he talked to them, and he said he hoped that scholars, especially from schools, could come and inspect the archives that we have. He wants the knowledge dispersed and people to take it and do something with it. Hence is the germ of the Frank Lammer Center for Seminole War Studies. He bequeathed us many filing cabinets full of his original research materials, 2,500 books, along with Dr. John Ma, related initially, the core of it is the Seminole Wars. However, there were other books in there as well. The idea was to take that and add to it and present a center for scholars of all walks of life, not just aligned with an academic institution, to come by and learn more about the Seminole Wars. And because of all the different ways to include things in the collection, we're in effect becoming like the podcast, the Seminole Wars Authority. If you want one-stop shopping to learn about the Seminole Wars, come to us. That's what we're set up to do. No need to go to 16 different libraries and so forth to find materials. Our aim is to get all of it under our roof so that scholars will come by and just spend the day with us learning more. The Frank Lomer collection is uh, certainly massive and extensive. How did the podcast actually fill a niche in the center's materials? What I like about the podcast is it gives us a chance to talk to the actual subject matter expert. Often these are people who have published. I've read books and had questions and said, I'd like to talk to that author and find out more about this subject. Well, that's what we have here. There's a great question historians are asked if you could go back in time and talk to any historical figure, who would you talk to and why? The classical historian Victor Davis Hanson said he would go back and find Thucydides, whose famous book about the Peloponnesian War was ended in mid-sentence. And Victor Davis Hanson says, I'd go to Thucydides and say, why did you end it in mid-sentence? What happened? We don't know. We know it was a great history. We don't know why he stopped it. That's one of those questions that you could go back with a time machine to get an answer to and not mess up history. 
it's along those lines. We have the missiles that have published extensively about the Seminole Wars, but then I get John and Mary Lou on to talk about things that weren't in their book or perspectives and so forth about their book that we should know about. That helps as another way of getting out awareness about the Seminole Wars. What are the other areas of the center's multimedia collection? We've got several. We start with Frank's files. Frank never threw out anything. So we have extensive files with uh, his letters to people asking for research information, the answers that he gets, the follow-ups, and so forth. That's a gold mine for research about the Seminole Wars. It's a way for contemporary historians to actually compare with what they have with what Frank Lommer was able to accrue from his letters and his research over the time. The files, though, are just one aspect, and they're a big aspect, and they're well worth coming in to inspect. But we didn't want to be a one-trick pony. So we've taken the library, the books that he's acquired, gleaned it down to just the Seminole Wars ones, and then acquired additional books so that today we have a 2,500-book library. It's all Seminole Wars related in some aspect. Andrew Foster, who at various events betrays his ancestor, Captain Charles Coe, a great friend to the Seminole tribe of Florida, around the time of the 1900s has a photography hobby, and takes extensive photos of all living history events that he attends. He has generously donated a copy of this digital archives for the Seminole Wars Foundation to offer to scholars conducting research in our facilities. In addition, we've got original copies of books from the 1800s that touch on the Seminole Wars. These often have illustrations. You'll find these on the internet doing a basic search, but they don't have the metadata in it. What publication did they come from? What page? What year? Who was the author? Etc. And they're usually low resolution. So what we're doing at the Seminole Wars Foundation is we're going through all our back copies, all the old ones from the 1800s, and looking for these images. And we're scanning them into a high-resolution TIFF, TIFF. From there, we can make thumbnails and other internet-friendly copies. But we aim to have essential repository for all 19th century images in the books, and it'll be searchable so scholars looking for a particular subject or a particular image can find it more easily. Again, we're in the process of doing that. In addition to all the photos that we have, we've got a lot of digital journal articles, magazine articles, things that we pull off the internet. It'd be too much to print them all, but we have them, and with the search, you can find journal articles related to your subject matter, pursuit for the Seminole Wars. We've got ephemera, and I talked about ephemera, which may be coins with Osceola on it. It may be posters. It may be knickknacks, like Seminoles on the back of a cereal box. It may be a glass bottle full of Seminole-made milk from Oklahoma. These are various things that tell a little about the Seminole Wars and supplement the information one will get from the books. And one of the things we did to supplement the books is Jackson Walker had graciously donated one of his paintings, this one about the Battle of Camp Azard. And in that painting is a soldier firing a Hall's rifle. Well, you can read about the Hall's rifle in the books that we have in our collection, but to actually see a representation of it, you can go right there with the Jackson Walker painting and see it. And then in addition to that, we acquired an actual Hall's rifle. Now, it's a museum display piece, so it's not firing anymore. But one can pull it off the wall, see how heavy it is, see what it takes to fire it. 
really let your imagination run wild from having read about it, seen a picture, and then picking it up and wondering what it would be like. All this ephemera helps supplement the historical information that you get either from Frank's files or from reading the books that we acquired. We have posters for movies in the 1950s that portrayed the Seminole, and we have the actual movies as well. So lots of things in the collection, and the podcast become an oral history leg to the overall collection. So one can read books from different authors, and then some of them I've been able to podcast with. And we can hear from them in their own words what they were trying to say in their books, if there were any questions about it. You know, Patrick, so often I come to the Walmart Center here at the headquarters, and each time I come in, it seems as if that the scenery has changed. There might be one visit, there might be uh, cartons full of books, just that seem as if they're just tossed in willy-nilly. Next visit I come, the books are on the shelves. Recently, they've begun to be marked. The catalog system, I know that you've had some individuals who are local people who aren't members really of us, but our foundation who have come in to help you. Talk about that a little bit. Indeed. Last summer, we had two public history grad student interns from the University of Central Florida. And they came out and tackled as many filing drawers as they could from Frank's files and wrote up a finding aid that went along with it. Concurrently, we brought in librarians who looked at our collection and found a way to get it all listed on a spreadsheet with the meta information that you need and then set up so we could put library markings on them, the Dewey Decimal Classification System, so that if somebody wanted to see a given title, we look it up in the spreadsheet, see what the Dewey call number is, and be able to pull it right off the shelf. Well, we can do that now. All the heavy lifting is done. But can you imagine what it took to get 2,500 books together? First, we had to go through the books and make sure that we had every one of them listed on our spreadsheet. Then we had to find the call numbers. Then we had to put that and print out labels. Then we had to attach those call numbers to the books. Then we had to sort them all out by their number. If they're 975.24, we put all those books together. Well, again, 2,500, we had stacks and stacks and stacks for different numbers in that. After a concerted effort, we got all that sorted out, and now our shelves are open, and you can find any book you want just by giving us a title. What are some of those categories of books in the collection? In addition to having an overall list of 2,500 books, I've broken it out into tabs. I rave that we have the world's premier collection of titles related to seminal patchwork. We have nearly 50 titles from books and magazines related to Seminole Patchwork. And I just felt that all those would get lost if you just looked in the overall master file. But if I pulled them off to a tab, you could scroll down and say, wow, that's a lot of books on Seminole Patchwork. So that's what we've done. We've got a lot of books, fiction and nonfiction, about black Seminoles slash Seminole Maroons. So you can look at the tab and see, well, there's almost 94 books on that topic. That's a lot. Maybe looking at this, I'll see which books are applicable to the research that I'm doing. I pulled out our fiction books, and I've titled them Seminole slash Cracker, because that's one of the two protagonists that end up in so much of the fiction that takes place in Florida, and that relates to the Seminole Wars or to the Seminole. So tabs like this will give one a chance to see the breadth of our collection and the depth of it when you think, Wow, 90 books on just the Black Seminoles. I didn't know there were so many books. Neither did we. But we took a concerted stance to 
pull all those together so that when you come here, if you want to focus on something, you could focus on the black symbols. If you wanted to focus on seminal portrayal in movies, as I said, we've got the movies. If you want to focus on seminal portrayal in fiction, such as juvenile fiction, we've got 200 years of books with that. So one can find out how the seminal have been portrayed as noble savages to heartless savages to, you know, they're just another tribe to, you know, they're Americans like us, and there's not that great a difference. You can see how they're portrayed in these books as distinct people, but no longer as a stereotypical people. When Frank Walmer left us, he did a wonderful thing uh, in advance that he willed all of his collection, his library, to us. So I spent months going through, sometimes single-handedly, pulling these books out and just transporting them here to the library. Really about 2,500 titles that we identified. How many of those books did we decide actually compose the core of our collection? And what do we define as our core? I would say about 500 to 750 books today make up our core from Frank Laumer and from Dr. John Ma, who donated his books. Dr. Ma donated books, but they weren't all applicable to some awards. Frank, a large collection of books about presidents. So we started with 2,500 books, and we got that down to about, you say, maybe 750. But now, today, from what I understand, and I've asked you several times, people ask me, we now have about 2,500 books in the collection. What changed? Uh, what changed? One, making space. And George Cressman up at Camp Landing was good enough to take some of the books that were excess to us and that were not within our charter. And he took 10 or 15 boxes from us and uses it for a history collection up at Camp Landing with the Florida National Guard. And then to other folks. So we're paying it forward with the books. If somebody can use books and we can't, we pass it on, and then they can use it. That was quite an expedition up to pass these books on to George. But once we were able to do that, it freed up a lot of space in our facility. And that's when we came time to look at what books do we need to acquire, specific gun things. And so we spent a good part of 2020 and 2021 acquiring books, which gets us now up to 2,500 or so titles. And we keep it within... The Seminole Wars, or the Seminole, who are, they can't be described without referencing what happened to them with Seminole removal. So we've got books about that. Anything that I could tangentially tie to the Seminole Wars. And that then comes down to some of the fiction. They portray a fictional story, and there's a Seminole in it. I want it in our collection so that one could see the breadth of how Seminoles are. But there's so many other books on uh, topics that Frank didn't have access to as far as acquiring for this. So this gave us an opportunity, once we purchased the books that weren't germane, to really build up a solid collection. And that's where we get to, once it's built, I come up with these tabs so you can say, ah, oh, 94 books on Black Seminoles, incredible. I've never seen these books before. And for our goal to be the authority, that's what we want our, uh, our visitors to say and then follow up with. I couldn't find this anywhere, but I found it here. You've mentioned to me about your so-called hard-to-find wish list. What kind of things are on that wish list, and why are they hard to find, and how can our listeners help to find them? Yes, well, there's some books that are just so rare. To obtain them today would be cost prohibitive. We did get a second copy of John T. Sprague's book, The Florida War, and that was about five to $600 to get from this book from 
I had gone by supervising this acquisition to getting the original books, if possible. So we've got a uh, 1805 copy of Baron von Steuben's Blue Book that used to drill Revolutionary War soldiers, and that continued to drill U.S. Army soldiers in the years after until it superseded. We've got books of the military dictionary from 1810. And then I made sure we acquired the modern reprints. The reprints can go to scholars, and it's okay if they mess up the pages. But we have the originals so they can go back and check to see that the wording was translated of the reprint correctly, and to just see and get yourself in the mindset that old paper on an old book with a binding that's all chewed out and so forth. And see, when somebody was reading this then, in this format, you could put your mind into that, as well as seeing the reprint. I wanted as much as possible to have both in this collection so that scholars would have an opportunity to compare it in the context of what was originally in there. Most folks, when you hear the word library, they picture a bunch of books on shelves, which is understandable. I do the same thing myself, even though I know better, but that's just not all the library has. Frank had so many primary sources in his research files, and those research files, we still haven't gone through all of them. I have some at my house, other members have some at theirs, There's a lot right here at our library as well. Not sure what to call them, they're, they're probably hidden treasures. What about those research files? How important are those? Frank being methodical, he's a file on each of the 100 soldiers who went up on Dade's March, whatever he could find about them as people. He also has binders on the military officers who were part of Dade's. Each officer getting their own binder with biographical information about them. Well, you know what? We've been talking a long time about the library and the materials and ephemera and all kinds of other titles that we're looking about. But what actually is, is the aim of the Walmer Center? And who can get to the Walmer Center, access it? Well, so our aim goes in with the aim of the Seminole Wars Foundation to raise awareness about the Seminole Wars and the various ways to do that. One is publishing, one is outreach, one is purchasing. Properties where Seminole War battles or skirmishes took place. So as far as this, we've got the outreach with this library to the public. So if you want to do research, you can just contact us either at the Seminole Wars website, seminolewars.us, click on contact, or you can send me an email at semwarstrategy at gmail.com. Say what you're looking for, and we can open that up, open the shelves up for a researcher to come find out more. Now, this could be someone like our college interns who are public history grad students and are already immersed in university research and so forth, but it could be somebody who's listening to this podcast and says, I want to learn more about, say, the Black Seminole. What have you got? Now, I can turn around and I can send them a printout with 94 titles on it. And this person can then decide which of those titles might work for the research that they're doing. In addition, we're going to be putting something in conjunction with our in-house file on books, which is called Library Thing. And Library Thing allows us to post online all the books in our collection, along with meta information about it and a summary description. So one put in a hashtag, Black Seminoles, and see all the titles pop up on Library Thing online. Determine which of those books you want to see, and then contact us to arrange a visit, at which time you can come in and review the books and write notes, and we've got workstations and so forth where you can take that information and then start putting some, some value into it for yourself. It's been amazing to me because sometimes one could get smug 
and look at all the materials that we have, and uh, surely we've covered most everything. But you know, I remember in my readings back in 1876 during the Centennial Exposition in Philadelphia, some wag said, you know what, he says, I'm looking around me, I see this thing called a, a telephone, an electric light, I see these steam engines that can go 90 miles an hour, I mean, my goodness. Surely everything that must have been invented and, and developed would we have today in our, in our wonderful culture in 1876. I mean, look at that now with a, with a twist and a, and a laugh and feel smug about it. But you know what? Even though we have all these materials here and we think we know a lot about them, who do we reach out to or how do we get the word out and for people to be able to make contributions or suggestions about what we can There's more out there. What can we find? How do we develop that? How can we get access to those materials? Some of it is just like this podcast. A listener hears this and says, well, I've got this obscure book. I'm wondering if it's in their collection. In a few weeks, we'll have the library thing online, and one can look in there and see if we have a book that you have a book of. And if you'd like to donate that to our collection so that we're more broad in our content, we welcome that. There's folks that have books that are hard to find, but they don't know who would actually want them if they were to part with it. We were at a Seminole Wars Foundation meeting a couple weeks ago, and somebody brought a book about the second dragoons from the Seminole Wars to Baghdad. It's a small little booklet that is almost impossible to find. Now, I managed to find a copy, but somebody came to this meeting and said he found two copies at a historical society gift shop, and he thought, we might have some use for it. We definitely have use for it. And we welcome this as the place for obscure titles to go so that more than just the owner of the book will have access to it. And that's what we're trying to do with this center is put the word out to people. If they have books that they think would go well in our collection, just give us a ring and we'll see what we can take. And then you'll be contributing to the wider awareness and knowledge about the Seminole Wars. Well, Patrick, is there anything else you would like to add? Steve, as a matter of fact, I would. And I will add in the form of a question, what does the Seminole Wars Foundation do? You mean, what do we do to keep this all going? Yeah. What, do you, what does the foundation do to keep this all going? How do you keep it all going? Well, you got me again, Patrick. Let me just say that we really have had generous requests over the years, including the one from Frank himself, as we talked about many times already during this podcast. We have a bookstore. Remember that we are a foundation that has a bookstore. We are not a bookstore that has a foundation. There's an important change in that. Book sales increase awareness of the Seminole Wars, and they help our operations to raise awareness of the Seminole Wars. And the third pillar is our members, of whom I count a good number of as your podcast listeners. We seek members to sustain us, and they do sustain us financially. It enables us to do everything that really enacts portions of our mission. And it gets members a hefty discount in the Foundation Bookstore besides. But your support, beyond your, your dollars, you share the word of the Seminole Wars with the greater public. Membership shows your commitment actually, annually, to our work. And it gets some nifty benefits. <clears throat> Discounts in the bookstore. Now I encourage your listeners who are not members to join us. Dues are going up for the first time in a decade, actually for the first time since the founding of our foundation back in 1992, that listeners who can sign up and write the word podcast broadly anywhere on their application, and they join us during 2023 before July 1st, they can get in for the old rate. I urge your listeners who don't want to join, but who nevertheless enjoy the podcast, 
So please consider making a tax-deductible contribution to the Seminole Wars Foundation, which is the producer of this podcast. It's easy to do, uh, easy as a visit to SeminoleWars.us, scroll over to the bottom that says to donate, and that donation will help keep this podcast going. Matter of fact, if those of you who are members, if you wish to pay your membership fees in advance of that July 1st date of, of these going up, you can do the same thing. You can go to that donation box and you can make a donation of anything that you like for next year, two years. You can do five years or more in advance if you want. Just let us know that that's what that donation is for and we'll mark it down accordingly. Many have already done things like that. Steve, I want to piggyback on one aspect of what you said there, and that is the fact that this podcast is available free of charge. Exactly. Anybody in the world who goes to the website can listen to podcasts. We in the foundation, we talked about, well, should we charge us a subscription, even a nominal fee? And we came back and said, you know, the Seminole Wars are so obscure in the public's mind. One, we're not sure that people would want to be paying for a subscription. But two, we want to get the information out to them, and we don't want to put up any financial barriers if those are unnecessary. It's better that folks can listen to the podcast, and if they feel they've gotten some value out of it over the time, they can go make a donation of any amount, and that'll help keep us going. We appreciate that, but uh, we want to keep it free for everybody so that the knowledge is passed along without constraints. Well, that sounds good to me. And Patrick, thank you for being a part of the Summit Awards Authority. Thank you, Steve. This is the Seminole Wars Authority.